Well, this message has been brewing in my heart, and it has been uh, something that I have chewed through. Uh, you guys know me well enough by now. I am a um, teacher-preacher. I like uh, organization. I like things in a row. I like things in, in uh, an organized manner. And every now and then, the Holy Spirit will interrupt my organization. I'm sure he's done that in your life as well. And he will say to, to me, especially when it comes to preaching, hey, you're going off track here. And you've got to understand this. As a pastor, when you're doing your study and you're trying to do your proper exegesis and your hermeneutics and you're trying to dive in and not give your opinion into Scripture, that's what I try to do. I'm not trying to make my opinion over Scripture. Um, I'm trying to do what the Word of God is saying, but every now and then the Holy Spirit will say, that's correct, but I want you to focus on this. And I'm like, God, but this was so much more easier to process. It's so much more cleaner, and there's little points, and it makes so much more um, sense from a place of detail. But this message, I, I have to be honest with you, I have not only struggled with, but I am absolutely sure this is for uh, our church as well. So this is, church, New Song Church is your home. I, I feel like this message can be a healing message for our church body. And uh, we've talked in this sermon series called Ordinary People, Extraordinary God about Nehemiah. And how God uses ordinary person, Nehemiah, to do extraordinary things, not because of his qualifications, but because God is an extraordinary God. In the first week, we talked about rebuilding, that uh, he rebuilt, Nehemiah rebuilt by taking action. That's the first thing that Nehemiah did. He actually said yes to God. So many of us, we don't say yes to God. We want God to use us, but we don't say yes to God. In fact, most of us, if we're honest, that's where we're at. Uh, We have a problem saying yes to God. Everything's going to line up. The stars have to line up. The billboard has to say, go do fill in the blank, and then we will. Until then, we just don't. The second thing that Nehemiah did was he rebuilt by guarding God's vision in his life. And sometimes we say yes to God and we take action, but we don't guard the vision that God has given us. We let people from the outside, just like Sam Ballot, come in and take away the dream and the vision that God has put in our life. And Nehemiah guarded his vision. And I don't know if you remember the picture of the um, the tool, the hammer, and the AK-47, you know? I, I said that Nehemiah got gangster. He was working, but at the same time, he's ready, you know? And uh, we have to protect the vision that God's given us. And we have to be careful who we shared with, to be honest. And then the third week, we talked about unity, rebuilding with unity. And unity starts with our example, Nehemiah was always leading by example in chapter 5. He was always the first person to show up and say, here's what God's saying, here's what God's doing, let's do this. Today I want to talk about rebuilding with joy. I've uh, entitled the sermon, Win-Win Situation. How many of you guys like a win-win situation? Yeah, right. So if you're a Cavs fan, we are not in a win-win situation this year. We're in what we call a rebuilding situation, but it is not a win-win situation, right? Uh, If you're a Browns fan, you have some hope uh, a little bit. But the kingdom of God is built on this principle that even though there may be loss in our life, Even though we may have to take a step back, even though we need strength and we're not perfect, it's a win-win situation if we have Jesus in with us. See, it's not our own strength. It's not our own intellect. It's not our own doing for this kind of a win-win situation. We don't have to scheme. We don't have to plan. 
We just have to be in God's purpose. And guess what God's purpose for you and I is? It's to get to know Jesus. That's his purpose. His purpose for our life is not to do great things for him. It is to make Jesus famous. Now, that includes your job. You've heard me say that many times before. Your job matters. Uh, We don't just make Jesus famous inside of this place. Amen? We're not just worshiping God, and this is the only place where we make Jesus famous. We don't just worship God uh, in the sanctuary, sing songs, listen to a great message, sign up to serve, and tithe, and we're living for Jesus. No, it's more than that. It has to affect every place you go. This week, I had the opportunity to go to the Cleveland Clinic Hospital, and I was there, and I parked in the parking lot. It was Hillcrest. I was visiting Pong, and uh, I didn't tell him I was going to say the story, but it just really shaped my uh, view of Pong's relationship with God. And so I went there. I had a hard time getting in. I tried to be like a doctor, but then I was like, I'm a spiritual doctor, not a medical doctor. And they were like, get out, you know? <laughs> so finally I got in, 228, and went in and uh, greeted them, prayed with them. And Pung was walking with me on the way out. And you got to understand, the postpartum wing is far away from the parking lot. And Pung walked with me all the way to my car in the parking lot. And one of the things that was most, um, I was most impressed with about that was there was this sense in a character of Jesus involved with such a simple action of just walking somebody to their car. And the Lord began to just bring that to my mind as I was uh, preparing this message that sometimes we think the win-win situations are always about building the great walls for God. And it's not. It's about being who God has called us to be. So my challenge to you is today, as you're rebuilding, taking another step to rebuild Would you focus on who you are in Jesus, not just what you can do for Jesus? Nehemiah, at this point, has built the wall, and it's about to be a party. That's where we're focused on today, Nehemiah chapter 8. There's this moment where they're about to celebrate, but they're not celebrating for celebration's sake. They're not even celebrating because of the wall. They're celebrating Jesus. Let's pick it up in in, in verse, uh, Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 1. And all the people gathered as one man at the square, which was in front of the water gate. And they asked Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given to Israel, Then Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of men, women, and children, all who could listen with understanding on the first day of the seventh month. He read from it before the square, which was in front of the water gate from early morning until midday, in the presence of men and women, those who could understand. And all the people were attentive to the book of the law. Ezra the scribe stood at a wooden podium, which they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood Mattiah, Shema, Aniah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Messiah on his right, and Padiah, Mishael, Malkijah, Hashum, Hashbadanah, Zechariah, and Meshulam on his left hand. I did good. Y'all know I did good. Okay. Y'all know I did good. Verse 5. Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above the people. When he opened it, I want you guys to underline this if you haven't already. All the people stood up. Then Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen. Amen. While lifting up their hands, then they bowed low and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also Joshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akub, Shabbatai, Hodiah, Messiah, and a whole bunch of other guys were the Levites. 
explained the law to the people while the people remained in their place. I love Nehemiah's detail-oriented personality. They read from the book, from the law of, the, of God, translating to give sense so that they understood the reading. You know, it's interesting. Ezra reads the law of Moses, and you have the Levites coming in and explaining and making sure that people understood what was read. Then Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra and the priests and scribe and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people were weeping when they heard the words of the law. It had been 90 years, some estimates, since they heard the word of God. The people of Israel... 50,000 of them came to Jerusalem, came back to Jerusalem under Zerubbabel's leadership. They built a temple that's not as nice, that doesn't look like Solomon's temple. Then comes Ezra, and he pastors them. And he's a priest over the nation. Then comes Nehemiah into the picture. And this is the first time. And as they hear it, they begin to mourn and weep because of the conviction of the Word of God. Imagine right now us gathering on a Sunday morning. Boom, this big old Bible on this pulpit opens up, and someone reads it, and all we need is the Word of God, and we begin to feel the conviction of God. Sounds like an interesting time, doesn't it? So Nehemiah tells them, This day is holy to God. Do not mourn or weep. It's interesting he says that. For all the people were weeping when they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, go eat of the fat. In other words, have a good time. Eat good. Drink of the sweet and send portions to him who has nothing prepared. For this day is holy to our God. Do not be grieved for the joy of the Lord is your Strength. I want you to turn to your neighbor if you have one. Tell him the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people saying, be still for the day is holy. Do not be grieved. All the people went away to eat, to drink, to send portions, and to celebrate a great festival because they understood the words which had been made known to them. Then on the second day, the heads of the fathers' households of all the people, the priests and the Levites, were gathered to Ezra, the scribe, that they might gain more insight into the words of the law. They didn't have enough. They found written in the law how the Lord had commanded through Moses that the sons of Israel should live in boots during the feast of the seventh month, which is called the Feast of the Tabernacle. In fact, if you have Jewish friends... Just about two weeks ago, September 23rd to September 30, you probably saw that they built something either outside their home or business or something, and it was a reminder to the Lord about their commitment to God. You know what's funny about this um, chapter? And it really is kind of a chapter that makes us think a little bit about how much we do celebrate what God is doing in our life. In fact, I love this about the Jewish people, that they have feasts and festivals, reminders about what God is all about in our life. One of the things about being charismatic and Pentecostal and being in a church that's postmodern is we don't have enough reminders about what God has already done. This is why I keep telling you, hey, we have 12 people that got baptized. Hey, we're sitting on chairs that someone donated. Hey, we're about to fix this building up and make it look fancy. And it's going to take all of us. What? Why? Why? Because we so easily forget all that God has done. But we so quickly remember what he has not done yet. This is a reminder in this chapter 
that spiritual renewal and joy go hand in hand. That's what this chapter is about. It's not about the fact that the wall was completed. It was the fact that there has to be a joy involved when you're rebuilding for spiritual renewal. Nehemiah knew this. He told the people, hey, stop crying. I don't know about you, but if you're on the altar and you're bawling your eyes out, and you're actually weeping before the Lord, and I came up to you and said, stop crying. What would you do? You probably won't come back. <laughs> Be like, man, that dude is mean. That dude is a turd. Hey, pastor. Right? But that's what Nehemiah did. Why did he interrupt him? Because he said, this day is holy. See, every day we are given an opportunity to live out that day according to what God has for that day. So many of us live in the past, the regrets, the things that never happened, and we keep praying, God, would you, would you, I know you kind of didn't, would you, and then we're living in this future world of if things happen, my life will be better. And every day goes by, and you're missing the purpose of God today. See, it's not about your tomorrow. God's got it. It's not about your yesterday. God's got it covered. It is about your today. Hebrews 12, 1 to 2 says this, Therefore, since we, are, we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, those that have gone before us, Abraham, Moses, Jacob, Men of God, women of God that have gone before us, watching and surrounding us, let us also lay aside every circumstance and encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. And let us run with endurance the race that is what? Set before us. Every day we ought to wake up and say, God, there's something set before me and I need to say yes to that. Fixing our eyes on who? My problem, my bank account, my sister, my kids, my boss, the city, the city ordinances, the city council, the current political climate. No, fixing our eyes on who? Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of our faith. For who? For the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So many Christians live without joy. Even Jesus had a joy set before him, and it was to be with God. It was to be in the right hand of the throne of God. Yet we as Christians, we are some of the most miserable people. On the planet, someone just said. (laughs) We have a life source within us. Everywhere we go, this source is life and life abundantly. And yet, we kind of hold it back because we're too busy grumbling about what we don't have instead of knowing that God is with us and he is for us. See, how do I know when a Christian doesn't have joy? It's very simple. You don't know how to celebrate. I mean, you can be in a party and you're just always like, you taste the cheese, it's nasty. You see what that lady's wearing? Can't believe she goes to our church. You're always looking at what's wrong. That's the reality is how you celebrate, how you look at celebration conveys the depth of the joy of your soul. As a Christian, the depth of your life, the depth of that joy comes from your soul. It doesn't come from this place. You know, sometimes I meet young Christians and I'll talk to them and say like, how do you, you know, how are you at peace with certain things? You know, how, how do you, and I just tell them, just get close to Jesus. 
I'm not at peace. I'm just at peace with Jesus. That's the reality. My life's crazy too. I got issues too, but just get close to Jesus. See, when a Christian cannot celebrate, it just shows me there's a lack of joy in their life. You're always serious. My goodness. About everything? Where is the joy? You know, sometimes I feel like when you look at Psalm 51, I preached about this before, when David was approached with the prophet Nathan and was given a mirror, and David says, oh, I've sinned against God, and he writes Psalm 51, and he says, don't take the joy of my salvation away from me. You know what the enemy does to your life? He wants to remove your joy. If he can remove your joy as a follower of Jesus, he's got you. If he can remove your joy about doing what God's called you to do, you ain't going to do it. This is how important joy is. Nehemiah, in verse 6, he says, he blessed the Lord. Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen. Amen. While lifting their hands. Then they bowed low and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Even as I'm doing this right now, it's an awkward thing to see in churches anymore, isn't it? To just say to the Word of God in our lives, when we hear the Word of God, to have a posture to say, so be it. That's what amen means. Whatever this word says, whatever is in here, God, so be it. Yet we need a translation. We need it to sound good for us. We need a life application. We need to go ahead and get my version of the truth. And we do that often, don't we? Instead of having a posture before the Lord and celebrating the word of God, we have a posture that simply states, God, I have an issue I have an answer for that issue. Now, where in the Bible can I get a verse to support my answer for that issue? That's how we read the Word of God. Because we don't keep in mind that when we celebrate the Word of God, that we're actually celebrating Jesus. That's what Nehemiah understood, that the Word of God was salvation. This is what the people knew. The word of God was saving grace. John chapter 1 says what? The word was with God and the word was? So when we learn to get a mode of celebrating the word of God, who are we celebrating? That's what they were doing. In verse 6, they celebrated with Jesus. I love this quote from the late evangelist J. Edwin Orr, it says this, he defines spiritual renewal as the Spirit of God working through the Word of God in the lives of the people of God. The Spirit of God working through the Word of God in the lives of the people of God. Here's what we see happening in the Scripture The first thing is this, the Word of God was welcomed and honored. I was raised in the Middle East in the country of Kuwait. And in Kuwait, they pray five times a day, Muslims do. And they not only pray, but they put a speaker on the outside of the mosque so everybody knows they're praying. And then on top of that, about 30 minutes before, an hour before, they actually make an announcement that they're about to pray. In their homes, the Quran is placed in a place where it's so respected and honored and so welcomed in their home. It is like literally a room assigned to it. 82% of Americans, according to the American Bible Society, have this. Where is it? 82% of Americans have a Bible. Is it truly that we don't have enough exegetical preaching? Is it truly that we don't have enough expository teaching? Is it truly that we don't have enough preaching when 82% of Americans have this book in their home? 
there's a disconnection. And that disconnection is, I believe, a follower of Jesus' life. When people see that the Word of God impacts your life, they are introduced to who Jesus is through you first. Organized religion is coming to an end, but Jesus will never fade away. That is the bottom line. Notice in verse 3, he read it from the square, Nehemiah says, which was in front of the water gate, an important place. From early morning until midday, in the presence of men, women, those who could understand, and all the people were attentive to the book of the law. You know what that says? They started the service at 6 a.m., and they were done at 12 p.m. Anybody want to sign up for that? I'll be done probably about 5 o'clock since we started at 11. We can't do it as Americans. The question isn't, okay, is God upset if we don't do six hours or we do one hour? That's not the, the question. The question is, why do we feel uncomfortable when the Word of God is preached for an extensive amount of time? I'm not saying we're going to do it. Okay, I don't have enough energy. <laughs> one day maybe we'll have a little buffet line of preachers go through here. But the truth is this, guys. We have to welcome and we have to honor the Word of God for what it is. And that's what the people of Israel did. The second is this, the Word of God was a priority. Verse 4 says, Ezra and the scribes stood at a wooden podium, which they made for the purpose. (laughs) They didn't say, hey, by the way, the Word Church has this amazing pulpit. Have you seen it? We need it at New Song. Can you go ahead and get who designed that? How much does that cost? $10,000. Maybe we'll go for the $5,000 one, you know? That's not what they were doing. There was a purpose attached to the why. You know, there was a purpose attached to the what. They weren't just having a podium so Ezra could stand up higher and preach to the people. No, this was not organized. It was importance. It was priority. And beside him stood his friends and leaders amongst the people of Israel, to the left and to the right. Why were they just standing there? How awkward would it be if I'm preaching and there's like seven people here, seven people here, you know? It'd be kind of like, that's kind of weird. There's 14 people on the stage with pastor. What he was showing and what they were showing was that the word of God was a priority. It was never something in our lives to be looked at as a detriment. It was never supposed to be looked at something in our lives as an inconvenience. I love football. How many football fans in here? I'm in a fantasy football league. I used to be in three or four. Life has changed over the last four or five years, and I dwindled it down to one. I can barely keep up. In fact, right now, I'm thinking I didn't even put in the active players on my fantasy football roster, and who knows I'm going to win today or not. But the truth is this, and I know this is true. We have more people interested in football than the Word of God. And I'm talking about Christians. And there's nothing wrong with it. I love football, I love sports, I love being active. But when we worship something else more than we do, the Word of God is a problem. And then we may be wondering where the blessing should come from. I mean, you could go talk to the Browns and see if they're going to go ahead and bless your life. (laughs) And then to make matters worse, I've been to football games, and I've seen some of the church people who are the calmest People in the world, reverence for God. Hold my hand back for God. Always looking at Sunny when she's yelling for Jesus, amen? It's like, who is that person yelling there? Is she allowed to do this? Well, if she's allowed to do it at a football game, she can do it in the house of God. That's the truth. We got to get excited a little bit about the Word of God. We've got the source of direction and life right here. This is why we gather. Not because we're like, well, it's kind of cold outside and I 
I called the kids, and they had nothing else to do, and they said no to lunch plan, so let's go to church. That is not the pecking order of church. Maybe it is for church, but not the Word of God. We gather to hear the Word of the Lord. And if it's not a priority in your life, don't wonder why things aren't lining up according to how God's Word teaches it, Will. Because you cannot have the blessing of the Word of God without making it a place of priority in your life. The Word of God was looked at as a blessing. I love that. Ezra said, he blessed the Lord after he read it. And then guess what he says? Bless the Lord, the great God. I mean, this was a moment in history. This is a moment where they were rebuilding and they're building on solid foundation, and they said, wow, the word of God, and he blesses God, the great God, and all the people shouted amen, and amen, while lifting up their hands. No one told them to. There wasn't a good worship leader. There wasn't fog, and haze, and lights, and comfortable chairs, and AC, and the heat, and connect cards, and programs, and next steps, and here's what you do for this, and 10 things to do for that. They just responded to God, lifted their hands up, and said yes to God. That's what the Word of God does. That's what the Word of God does. That's what the Word of God does. So many times, and we need all that stuff, because I got kids, and we're going to have an amazing kids ministry and youth ministry. We are. But the truth is this, that is just a tool. What they receive in there should be the Word of God. That's why we have a kids' ministry, not so we can babysit them, okay? We can hire babysitters. We need men and women of God passionate about teaching the Word of God to the next generation. Some of us need to hear that, and you need to sign up to serve. Some of us just be like, Pastor, it's been 10 years. I just haven't learned enough about the Bible. I may be the new version, but I'm going to eventually get old too. I can't satisfy you. Some of us, as followers of Jesus, you need to get activated into ministry. Take the Word of God that's a blessing in your life and take it to other people here at our church and outside. The second thing is they celebrated with joy. Verse 9, the Nehemiah, who was a governor, and Ezra, the priest. So you got Nehemiah, who's the strategist, Ezra, the pastor and scribe, and the Levites, the, the tribe of priests who taught the people, said to all the people, this day is holy to your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people were weeping when they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, go eat of the fat, drink of the sweet, and send portions to him who has nothing prepared. For this day is holy to our Lord. Do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Be still, for the day is holy. Do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. You know, so many times we do life by ourselves, trying to please God or others. The truth is you cannot make it on your own strength. You cannot be a Christian in your own strength. And if you do, you're going to end up being legalistic and it's going to take a lot of performance to keep up this thing. You're going to say some things that's going to backfire on you one day when you call people out and you actually do what you said you shouldn't do. That's what a performance mentality does. Here's the reason why God's presence is active in our present circumstance. God's presence is active today, not tomorrow, not yesterday. He is active today. That's what Nehemiah was telling the people of God. Hey, by the way, stop mourning 
and stop weeping. Hey, I understand why you're all like, you know, kind of in a place of repentance, but you need to learn that the joy of the Lord is here today and it can be a strength for your past and your future, but it's here today. Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra, the priest and scribe, he says, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. Some of us, every day we wake up and we're wondering if God's going to come through. Our prayers signify that we're living weak Christian lives in a posture of saying, God, I don't know. Now, we would never say that because we know. We got to make it to heaven. And if I say things like this, I might not. So we don't pretend, we don't say things by saying, hey, God, I don't know if you're going to come through. But our posture and our heart and our request actually signal that. This is why Nehemiah said, the joy of the Lord is your strength. See, your strength is not good enough, guys. I mean, you can change your life, you can do some things, you can take some next steps, and you can take some actions. But it's not going to change your inside. The joy of the Lord is the strength that you need to change from the inside out. So many of us think it's someone else's problem, someone else's fault. It's the fact that we don't have enough uh, money or enough uh, prestige or my last name is this or my skin color is this or it is this. And the reality is this, God is calling us to a place where we rely on his strength to give us joy to carry on with the relationship with him. 1 Peter 1.8 says this, though you have not seen him, who? Jesus. You love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. We're not just waiting to get to heaven to be full of joy. If you have met Jesus today, there should be joy in your life that comes from God. Because Jesus gives that inexpressible and glorious joy. Where are the Christians walking people down to their car? Where are the Christians buying grocery for people? Where are the Christians not cutting people off in traffic? Where are the Christians giving up their seat in their own church? Where are the Christians willing to serve before they are served? Where are the Christians who will give everything away and ask nothing in return? Where are the Christians who are quick to forgive and let go of things and let go of the hurt that people have done to you and to forgive them? And not keep account. Where are these Christians? Because these kind of Christians come from a place of joy that is a strength from the Lord. Your past may bring you pain and your future might bring you anxiety. But if you give God your today, not just your yesterday and not just your tomorrow, he can change your morning all the things in your life that's wrong. God, I, I know what the Word of God says. And every time I go into your presence, I feel convicted. He can change those things and make it into dancing, not because everything is solved, but because that's who He is. He provides joy in the midst of the craziness. You know, uh, whenever I'm in a meeting and things are intense, and I'm in quite a few of those. <laughs> I'm just being honest with you. Sometimes I'm just watching the battle in front of my eyes. And sometimes I just listen because that's what pastors are supposed to do, right? And I do listen. And I've done really well for someone who doesn't like to listen. You know, I've grown a lot. But one of the things the Lord has always done for me is when someone makes a mistake and crosses the line to personally attack you, you need to tap into the joy of the Lord. You got to stop making it so personal. You just got to be objective and ask the Spirit of the Lord, God, what are you saying to me? Have you ever stopped and said that when someone's actually messing with you? upsetting with you, that have hurt you? Have you said, God, can you give me strength? Can you give me joy? And I'm going to be, sometimes I'm not good at it. 
But every now and then, I'll have a smile on my face, and I don't know if the person wants to jump across the table and hit me, or if God's like doing a healing work in their life. (laughs) Because I got nothing to prove. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Ecclesiastes 3, 4 says there's a time, there's a season and a time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance. You know, there's there's seasons. A mentor of mine once told me, when you go into the cave, Clint, remember to come out. So many Christians have gone into the cave with the Lord, and you're battling things out with the God. And you're battling things out with what he's told you and asked you to do. And you haven't come out. And when people come in to get you out, you're yelling at them. And you're angry. And you're ticked off. And the church is this. And the church is full of hypocrites. And this and that. And it's everybody else's fault except yours. You need to come out of the cave. God does call you into the seasons of the cave. I know that. And I've experienced that in my own life. He does call you to focus on him and him alone. But there's a danger. If you don't come out, there's going to be something that's missing in your life, and that's the strength of the Lord. And everything you do from that point onwards is going to be a lone feeling and lonely, and no one hears me, and no one sees me, and what I do is not good enough, and you're making up this narrative in your mind. And the whole time God is saying, would you come out of the cave? And accept the joy. That's who I am. See, it's not this like fruit of the Spirit, even though it is. Jesus is that joy. It's amazing to me how we miss that opportunity every day for new strength from the Lord. So we have to understand that every day is a new day. It is an opportunity for new strength from God. I want you to write that down, opportunity. If you miss it, you missed it. Every day we're given an opportunity to be all that God has called us to be. And sometimes we think it's external things. Verse 10, then he said to them, go eat of the fat, drink of the sweet, and send portions to him who has nothing prepared. I love that. You know, when you live in that kind of a way, with that kind of opportunity in mind, you start to overflow and bring others on the journey with you. That's the definition of a leader. That your life is in such an order before the Lord that you can actually bring people along with you. Some of us want to be a leader before you figured out your own journey, before you can actually carry yourself into that place of celebration. And you want to be a leader to actually bring other people into your chaos? I'm sorry. It is not good. God has called us to enjoy and celebrate in the joy, but to recognize that today is a new opportunity. That's why he said, For this day is holy. In other words, set apart. It's an exciting thing to wake up in the morning, guys. It's an exciting thing to come to church. It's an exciting thing to sing songs and to worship God and to be with people and to be in America and Cleveland. You know, it's an exciting thing. It's been one of my mantras here over the last three months in the city, not just here, about how much I love Cleveland. I've been telling people all the time, Cleveland is an amazing city. Go to another city and come back. If you have not been to another city, even if you're born here, don't say this is a terrible city. This is officially now my city. It's an amazing city. You might see all that's wrong with it, but I see all that God is wanting to do. 
You may see all the things that are beyond your capability to attain because of the property taxes, but I see what God wants to use with the resources that's in this city. You may see the fact that we're all squished into 82 square miles compared to other cities that's 240, 270 square miles, and no one sees all these parts of the city, but we have an opportunity to reach a neighbor just across the street. That's what we have. Every day is a new opportunity. Lamentations 3, and 23 says, this is a steadfast love of the Lord. It never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. And it says, great is your faithfulness. Thank you, Jesus, for another day. Thank you for the job that I have. Thank you for the city that I have. Thank you for the wife that I have. Thank you for the crazy kids that I have. Thank you for the budget that I have. Thank you for the home that I have, the finances that I have, the friends that I have. That's the way this verse rolls. It used to be a song when I, we used to grow up. I was raised Anglican and... Uh, Every night we used to pray. I was, we were religious. We're a little bit more in relationship with God now. But we would do this religiously. Every night we would sit down and pray about 6.30, 7 after dinner, homework's done, playing time's done, everything's serious. We would read a psalm or a proverb and a gospel chapter. And then all the kids would pray from young to old. So my brother hated it because he was always first, you know. And it'd be me and then my sister, and then it'd be my mom and my dad, and we would say the Our Father, the Lord's Prayer. And growing up, I didn't care about it. I was like, oh, whatever. But it used to be the song that they used to sing, and it came from this verse. You guys know it. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning, new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness, O Lord. Great is thy faithfulness. Sing it again. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning, new every morning. Great is thy faith. Fullness, O Lord, great is thy faithfulness. You know, we serve a faithful God. We serve a God with our best interest in mind. We have a, we have a duty to worship Him every day with our life. With open hands to say, God, today, my mission is your mission. Nehemiah continues. He wasn't done. He had Ezra read the word of God and say, this is an amazing tool. This is an amazing book. This can encourage you. And see, they didn't even have the full Bible. They had the Torah. It was the first five books of the Bible. And yet we have way more than that. And do our lives reflect this kind of passion? We have so much instruction here that tells us how to live, how to get close to God, what he has for our life. Wisdom books, history books, prophetic books, yet we look at someone else for answers. He tells them, hey, by the way, I understand real life happens because I know you can celebrate the word of God. I know where life happens. And I know you're thinking that you lost all this time and you didn't know and this is the first time you're hearing. But don't weep and don't mourn. Approach God with joy because that's strength. 
And the third thing he says is, hey, by the way, we're never going to stop doing this. We're going to have to do this with some sort of regularity. They celebrated with regularity. You notice in verse 18, he read from the book of the law of God daily from the first day to the last day, and they celebrated the feast seven days, and on the eighth day, there was a solemn assembly according to the ordinance. The next day, the leaders came back after they read the word of God, and they found out, wow, we're supposed to be having a feast. And this feast or this festival was the, was the feast of the boots, the these rooms that were supposed to be made of palm trees and leaves and a little bit of mud and sticks. We were supposed to do this for seven or eight days. And so they all make a decision, hey, now that we know about it, let's move into action. And they all do. And they build this little hut next to their homes and their workplaces and they go and stay in there. You know, one of the things that the Lord told me is, that sometimes we have to realize that there's restoration in celebration. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like it's not always mourning and weeping and gnashing of teeth and everybody's sad and snotty and there's tissues and napkins being handed out and anointing oil hitting all kinds of stuff. Sometimes it's in the celebration that there's restoration. They didn't do this festival, but they decided to. That's a win-win situation. See, so many of us, we always think about what we don't have. So many of us, we think about lost dreams and dreams that have not been accomplished yet or promises that haven't been fulfilled yet. And we forget that God is not just in the business of having you wait and be obedient and on this journey, but are you attentive to possible restoration happening today. So what if your pastor lied to you? Today may be a different day. So what if your last church let you down? Today is a different day. So what if your father kicked you out of your house? Today can be a restoration of things that were done to you. If you allow this person named Jesus to come into your life, the twofold aspect of the Feast of the Tabernacles was simply this. And if you're wondering, why are they just doing this? Why are the Jewish people, why do they keep having this festival? I get the reminder thing, but what's the significance of what they're doing? The first is this God is a God who preserves. So when they have this open air type home, this cube, this thing, you can Google search it. It's interesting some of the way this, these are created. And when they look up to the stars, what they're reminding themselves of is what their ancestors went through in 40 years of the journey through the desert. And saying that even though they disobeyed God, even though they didn't do it right, God still preserved them. That's a God who preserves. If you're here today and you don't feel like you're up to par, and your performance as a Christian isn't there, if you're new to Jesus, God still is a God who preserves. Second is this, God is a God who keeps his promises. See, they failed miserably, my goodness. If you want to know what not to do when God gives you a promise, just read about the children of Israel. (laughs) Moses goes up a mountain, they create another God. (laughs) With their jewelry, by the way. (laughs) No one forced them to. And we, we oftentimes, we say like, oh, that, that will never happen to me. But we so often do that when we lose sight of God. But here's the deal. Even though they disobeyed God, God still kept his promise to Abraham. And he said, I will give you a promised nation and land. That's who God is. Some of us won't like this answer, but the truth is when you know Jesus, you're in a win-win situation. See, you shouldn't be seeking for peace or joy or healing or gifts or anything like that. You should be seeking Jesus. Because once you have Jesus, 
You never know what's going to happen because you're always in a win-win situation. Today, I want to challenge you if you're making the journey along with us. Would you rebuild with joy? Rebuild with joy. Rebuild your life with joy. Let that be a next step for you. Amen? Let's pray today. Father, we thank you so much for your steadfast love. We thank you, God, for all that you're doing. In spite of our weaknesses, in spite of the times that we don't pay attention to you, in spite of the fact that we dropped the ball, in spite of the fact, God, you are still there waiting on us. Lord, I pray that we would make the word of God a priority in our lives. God, I pray that we celebrate you because you are the word. Lord, I pray for each person and each person's circumstance. When joy is not an option, Lord, would you begin to bring strength to every person here? who has no strength. You know, some of us just need to receive that. Just need to receive that strength and stop trying to perform by yourself and just receive the joy of the Lord. Some of us here, maybe you, you've got this Word of God thing down and you, you do honor it. It is a priority. And, and you do celebrate with joy and you've got it, but it kind of hit or miss. It's nothing set up in your life to celebrate with regularity what God is doing in your life. And you need to set up something. Some couples in here right now, you need to figure out a a weekend that you and your wife or you and your husband, you go away and you pray and you enjoy each other and you hang out and you do a marriage retreat and thank God for all that he's done in your marriage. Some of you need to do that and be intentional about that, about restoration and the joy that God can bring into your marriage if you had a moment set up for him to do so. God, would you preserve us as we do? Would you be the faithful God that you are to us? God, for those that are far away from you today, Lord, would you begin to draw them in by your Holy Spirit? Today, if it's your first time in a church or maybe it's the first time in a long time or maybe you've been attending here and you've been watching this whole Jesus church, new song and and you feel like maybe today is a different day. Right now I want to tell you that it's not a message. It's not a song. It's not a building. It is a presence of God. So I want to encourage you, if that's you today and you're far away from God, I want to remind you that all you have to do is take one step forward. And He's right there. He's not going to force Himself on you. He's not going to tell you what to do. He's going to lead and guide you if you allow Him to. So right now, if that's you, I just want you to to say this prayer in your heart. And I want you to open your mouth and whisper it if you need to. Just say, Dear Jesus, I make you Lord of my life. I make you King of my decisions. I accept the work of the cross and I accept the purpose that you bring so freely. God, thank you for heaven. But God, give me new purpose here on earth. 
Can we all stand up today? The presence of the Lord is here. Either that or everybody's really tired. Huh? I think it's the presence of the Lord. Amen. Can we just can we just lift our hands? And in your own words, I want you to say amen, amen. or so be it amen. over what God wants for our life, over what God wants for us individually, as families, as a church. Yes, God. We say yes to you. We say so be it, God. Help us to be obedient, Lord. Help us to be followers in love with you, Jesus. You're going to change us from the inside out. And you're going to give us purpose and life. And you're going to make us a people that follows after you and that impacts our culture and our homes and our lives. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. Hey, if you need some more time, I want to encourage you to just come to the altars. The altars are always open here at New Song Church. You can come to the front. The worship team is going to lead another song. And if you want to just stay in your chairs and worship till you can, if not, uh, I want to encourage you to go ahead and uh, I, got, I think we got some stuff in the lobby. And if you're a visitor here, drop off your connect card for a free gift. I'd love to meet you there. If you have a prayer request about anything, that connect card on the bottom of the connect card, there's a spot that you can write a prayer request. And I will personally pray over your prayer request. And I'm going to believe God to do something supernatural in your life. God bless you. We'll see you Wednesday or next Sunday or on Saturday. Thank you for being here. Be safe and enjoy a great Sunday. Come on, let's give a hand clap of praise to the Lord.